I begin my remarks this morning with two personal experiences, one that took place a long time ago and one that's rather recent. Many years ago, when our son was in high school, he and I made a quick trip to a local outdoor shopping mall on a pleasant Northern California summer evening. We arrived, parked the car, and began making our way to our favorite store. I do not remember what diverted my attention, but something caught my eye. And I continued walking forward, but not looking forward, which quickly turned into a recipe for disaster as I walked directly into a steel and concrete beam that supported the roof of the shopping center. As I did so, my glasses flew off my face. I hit my forehead directly onto the corner of the beam. The pain was excruciating. I saw stars. I got very dizzy. But fortunately, I did not pass out. The pain was horrible, but the embarrassment was worse as directly to my right, there were about 50 people in an outside dining area enjoying their dinner. Now, some of them must have seen what was coming, but no one warned me. And as I sat down on a nearby curb, a server from the restaurant kindly brought me a glass of water asking, are you all right, sir? I assured her that I was, but it took a few minutes for me to regain my composure, and then we were off to shop. We returned home, glasses in hand, with a large knot on my face and an accompanying bruise. I have not forgotten this experience, nor has my son, and I imagine those 50 or so people who watch this unfold have not forgotten either. And I rather imagine that if something like this happened today, someone would have it posted on social media in seconds. Now, over the past year, I have included swimming as a regular form of exercise in preparing to participate in a couple of triathlons. A local recreation center has a pool available for early morning swimming, and I have enjoyed uh, adding this to my running and cycling training. Not long ago, after an early morning swim, as I was leaving, I saw someone that I know coming towards me. She was with a friend, and they were deep in conversation, and then only looking straight down as they walked, but with no steel beams in front of them. They were oblivious to anything other than their conversation, with the only things that they could see being their feet and the floor. I wondered if she would look up and say hello, because I knew that she would if she knew I was walking right by her. I decided not to say anything as a bit of a social experiment, just to see what would happen. They carried on their conversation, never looking up, and because I did not see anything, we both missed an opportunity to say hello, and if nothing more, wish each other a good day. Well, what do these two experiences have to do with you and with me? Are there lessons uh, for us to learn as we think about looking outward, looking inward, and looking upward? Sister Cush has just taught us in a very powerful and a tender way about the importance of looking outward, of serving others, and in so doing, blessing our own lives. Given our current circumstances, I imagine you have been spending more time inside than outside. You've probably found yourself wondering what to do with more discretionary time available. As I prepared my remarks for today, a question came to mind that I would invite you to consider. During these recent weeks, what have you been praying for and praying about? We have seen temples closed, missionaries brought home, church meetings suspended, the global economy disrupted, well over a million people infected with the coronavirus, 
and thousands who have tragically lost their lives. We have been asked to shelter in place for our own safety and the safety of others. If during this time we fail to look outward and miss the opportunity to look inward and upward, we might lose the opportunity to build and strengthen our faith in Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ at a time when it is needed more than ever. In the recent church uh, news interview that Sister Cush referred to with Elder Holland, he said, this is a rare time of enforced solitude when we don't have a lot of trivia or superficial busyness distracting us from considering the truly important things in life. Such times invite us to look into our soul and see if we like what we see there. The result is a kind of mandatory Sabbath, a time when we step away from our normal routine from life as usual and consider our dependence on God and the blessings from Him we so often take for granted. During our missionary service in Mexico, I loved to hear the people pray. Their prayers were faith-filled and powerful, and they were always filled with gratitude for things we so often take for granted, food on their tables, a roof over their heads, and the simple truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their example is one that could benefit us all as we spend a little more time counting our blessings and thanking God for them. So I would ask again, what have you been praying for and what have you been praying about? Has gratitude for heaven's blessings been a part of your prayers? One of the more trying times in the history of the church and in the life of the prophet Joseph Smith was the winter of 1838 and 1839 when he and six of his associates were falsely accused, ordered to be executed by a firing squad, and ultimately cast into prison to spend a bitter winter in the Liberty Jail. They lived in conditions that no human being should ever be subjected to, cramped and filthy quarters, no blankets, rotting food, and blasphemous guards. In spite of these inhumane conditions, when writing the history of the church, Elder B.H. Roberts described Liberty Jail as a prison temple for Joseph. Why would Elder Roberts describe Joseph Smith's experience in such vile circumstances with the sacred comparison of a temple? Could it be that because Joseph remained anchored to God and to the Savior with his eyes single to their glory and never ceasing to look upward, that he was able to receive the profound, sacred, revelatory instruction that is found in sections 121, 122, and 123 of the Doctrine and Covenants? Could it be that he learned that even in the most miserable conditions, heaven could be very, very close? Could it be that he learned that by not blaming God for his circumstances, but through faith and humility, every experience especially the miserable ones in life can be redemptive and filled with divine companionship and peace? Could it also be that Joseph learned in a very personal and direct way that because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, someone knew more about his suffering than he could ever comprehend, that he would never be abandoned, and that deliverance and an eternal reward would surely come? There were undoubtedly other important lessons that shaped the remainder of Joseph's mortal ministry, but how blessed we are for what we have because of what he experienced.
Now, it is unlikely that any of us will ever face the persecution, the opposition, and the cruel treatment that Joseph Smith experienced. But we will face challenges. We are facing challenges and conditions in the world that, while not unprecedented, are certainly new for all of us. And so the lessons Joseph learned in his extremity in Liberty Jail provide a pattern for us, not only in our present conditions, but for any conditions we might face in the future. And so what are the lessons for us as we look outward, inward, and upward? We can look outside ourselves and seek opportunities to do a little something to bless others, knowing that in so doing, we may very well be the answer to someone's heartfelt prayers. We can live with a little more gratitude for God's blessings, his abundant blessings, and count them a little more often. We can try to be a little more obedient, submissive, and humble. We can forgive more freely and strive to let go of anger or malice towards someone who may have wronged us. We can remember that the true test of a Christian life is how we live the gospel, not only when it's convenient, but especially when it is not. We can steadfastly anchor our lives and our faith in and on God the Eternal Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We can pray a little more fervently. We can spend a few minutes more thinking about the Savior's infinite and eternal atonement as we prepare for and partake of the sacrament. We can remember that God's love for us is constant and that because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, there is hope, there is succor, and there is the balm of Gilead. And because we know and do and remember these things, even in the most difficult circumstances, we can stand with the prophet Joseph Smith and say, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed, trusting in the Savior's sure promise that I will go before your faiths, I will be on your right hand and on your left, and my spirit shall be in your hearts and mine angels round about you to bear you up. I so testify with all my heart in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.